1: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art.
2: Welcome to Talk Art. How are
1: you, Rob? It's sunny. It is. It's chilly, but it's sunny.
2: Yeah, but it's actually, spring is coming, or has come, and I'm really happy about it. Why are you
1: happy? Because
2: yesterday, I went walking um, very close to where I live on Hampstead Heath. Oh my God. And I was thinking about the weight of the world and all of the...
1: The weight of the world? Yeah,
2: I've been reading the news and I was a bit like, ugh, you know, everything. All the and worries
1: then... of the world, actually, how much the world has Yeah, they were weighs. like, on
2: my shoulders God. and then i stopped in my tracks because i saw a worm on the concrete and he was like energetically kind of writhing around um in the on the path in How front did you know of it was me a well he looked like a he and <laughs> a hay worm anyway yeah <laughs> a he worm okay they um oh yeah good anyway uh, yeah the fluid
1: and- worm Okay,
2: can we move on from this? (laughs) Anyway, and then I suddenly stopped and was like, almost expecting this worm to shout at me and say, eat me, or like a voice from the skies echoing loudly, eat the worm. With the weight of the world. Exactly. Yeah. Because that... Is a theme that I've seen in the work of the artists we are meeting today. Yes, totally. And the point is that his work has made me look at the world in a different way, and I now notice worms on concrete paths. And they're talking to you. They're talking to me. Wow. I think maybe that I need is to quite, that is quite check into a clinic somewhere <laughs> to get a bit of yeah. mental health. Yes. But anyway, our guest today is a conceptual artist mm-hmm. he makes work in all mediums everything from like drawing animation neon even like limoges, salt and pepper shakers which i bought as a gift for Not uh me. i didn't get well, which i won't say who i gave them to but a very oh. famous person um music photography bronze sculpture painting additions multiples there's a whole universe of merchandise um everything from like posters Postcards, mugs, pin badges, co- coasters for your tea um, and or coffee, coffee. Yep. or even water.
1: Yeah, you can put water on a coaster. Or
2: champagne if you like a bit of champagne, or English sparkling wine, mm-hmm. who knows? <laughs> even inflatable swimming pool floats. Yes. Which look like giant. Who thorns. is it, Rob? It's David, David Shrigley!
1: Shrigley. Hi, David.
3: Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Do people call you Shriggers for short? They call me all sorts of things. I'm not. Uh, it should be noted that I am not the only Shrigley in the world. I'm not the only. Oh, you're not Shriggers, really? Not the only Shrig. What about the Shrig? There's a the Shrig Shrag. Well, there's a family of Shrigs that I'm related to, and there are there are other Shrigs in other countries. What other countries? Uh, America, for one. Wow! Wow! You're so global. You made it all the way over there. Well, I didn't, but <laughs> my, you know, ancestors yes. have travelled. Where is Shrigley from, the name? Shrigley apparently is from um, the north of England. There's a place in Cheshire called Pot Shrigley. And there's a stately home called Shrigley Hall. No. Which is, uh, which is now a sort of conference venue. Wow. And that could that be part of your family lineage, that hall? It could be because... You could uh, lay claim on that. I could do. I, I think I'd still have to pay where I to have a weekend there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is it like a National Trust property?
3: No, it's owned by some large multinational corporation who own those Fantastic. kind of things. Yeah, I love them.
2: Yeah. Damn, I was going to say maybe there was like a collaboration possibility for you to like Stop do collaborate. a sculpture park. Anyway. Moving on.
3: Going back to Cheshire, I was, <laughs> I was actually born in Macclesfield, although I'm oh. not from there. My parents oh, right. aren't from there. My, they lived there for a couple of years in the late 1960s, and I was born. And then they left, and I grew up in Leicester, and my parents are from the southeast And now I live in Brighton. Oh, so you're based in Brighton now? I'm based in Brighton, but I spent most of my adult life in Glasgow in Scotland. Yes, you did. Studying, because you went to the Glasgow School of Art. Aye.
1: Fantastic. And how was that? All right. All right. I saw a video where, and I think it was about 16 years ago, where they were doing a tour, a bus tour, around Glasgow, and they were going to various spots where you had laid... Work down in a public arena. Oh yeah, okay. have you seen this video?
3: Well, yeah, It was, but they um, never no. You were very elusive, and it was like, who is David,
2: David Triggley?
3: Yeah. Well, it was it was sort of awkward looking back because I think this would have been in the early two thousands, and mm. I decided at that point. I think it's because I was had become acquainted with Banksy, right? And Banksy yes. was, um, as you know, is, is pathologically uh, absent from mm. from from public life kind Mm. of thing. And I thought, that's good. That's a handy way, because then you don't ever have to do any interviews or Uh anything like that. And I thought, I'll do that. So this woman, who was really nice... Uh, she said, I really want to make this TV programme. And I said, yeah, but I, I'm I'm going to be elusive from now on. And <laughs> I, 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 I've just decided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, please. No and I said, well, all right, as long as I don't have to be in it. So they had to weave that into the narrative, which was this mysterious <laughs> yes. person, yes. Uh, elusive character, yes. so, um How long did you keep that up for? Well, unfor- unfortunately for them... I've kept it up for about less than a year. <laughs> <laughs> so was, then they were like, oh, that, that's him. And he's really so like, year, like, hello. A year later, I was on the culture show, and it, it was a They're bit of like, nonsense. Oh, that's annoying.
1: <laughs> for them, yeah. Sort of hilarious Do you? Me. Did you know Banksy, or do you know Banksy? I might do. Amazing? I might do. Very good. I'm not allowed to
3: say.
2: So talking of Banksy, that's actually where I first ever saw your work, because I was doing PR when I was a young musician trying mm. to survive and live and everything and i used to do pr for lots of different creative things and one of the things we promoted was banksy for a bit and um you had a print on pictures on com, which was a kind of street art website at the time for banksy and fail and all these big artists and it was an amazing handwritten letter to bananarama yeah for, yeah from a fan wasn't it fan perspective yeah well
3: we had a we had a conversation. All oh, right, I do know Banksy, okay. He is a real person. But we, he and I had a conversation about whether the print should be signed because his whole pictures on walls things was that, it, you know, you put this limited edition print out there and it cost, I don't know, £30 or something so that it was in some way democratising or making accessible fine art products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but it still costs £30. So if it's you know if, if it's democratising it why does it need to have a signature on it mm. and he was like yeah but you have to sign it otherwise people won't want it and I said I don't want to sign it so I didn't sign it and, and wasn't
2: it an unlimited edition that one
3: it wasn't. It was a really huge edition, like 750. Okay. I mean, this is quite pertinent for you and I, we should say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, you two have worked yeah. together. We've
2: worked together a number of times now. and Actually, we're continuing to work together yes. this year, which is really exciting. But um, yeah, for countereditions.com, and we've made numerous prints with you. The first one you did was actually a hand-drawn edition where you drew every single one, and then we've made That's it.
1: the one, this will not be here tomorrow, the sign. Yes. In the grass on the on the. Yep. stake. Yeah. What was, what was unique about each of them? Did you hand write the text each time? Uh, I I drew them all individually.
2: Oh, I wasn't aware of that. that. Yeah, yeah, they were complete unique drawings. How many, did it? What with was the edition
1: size of that? A hundred. What was that? I mean, that's quite an arduous, laborious thing. Then after a while, you must go a bit crazy
3: doing the same repetitive image or repetitive strain. It's good to have a, a task that you don't have to think about too hard. Yeah. Because almost all of my tasks, including this one, mm. I have to think about them. Mm. I have to think of things. Mm. Say to do. Have you been thinking about this interview? Yes. What did you think before you came to the interview? Well I had preconceptions about it Oh, what were those? Uh, Well, the first preconception was I wasn't expecting the recording studio to be so um, boutique. boutique. Oh, yeah. No, we, are, we are boutique. <laughs> boutique here. The yeah. We're very bougie. We're Rob. so bougie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's bourgeois and boutique and mm, hipster. Thank you. Say, we, we are she in a is
1: recent... a
2: bit hipster, you're right. No, but that
1: was our decision because we, you know, we could have bought a load of recording gear and sat around my kitchen table and, and brought people in. But it feels like we're, doing, we're going to work in a kind of like really yeah. lovely way, in a cathartic way. You come here and you, you invite the guests and yes, and they get the reaction. I think we, you get a better response when you
3: feel like it's more legit. Yeah, it's also in the King's Cross area, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's well, this, this whole area is actually like a new city. It's kind of like sort of landed in London. Like, It feels quite sci fi. All these flat blocks mm. and offices and mm. restaurants and it's Conversions. just it all just suddenly appeared out of nowhere yep. almost. It's crazy. I don't
3: know how comfortable I feel in this environment. I mean, I like being with you, like mm-hmm. you, but this area of King's Cross, it's sort of a, it's still finding its identity, isn't it?
2: True. Yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah, it's quite an odd place. So going back to printmaking, what question I wanted to ask you was, do you like the idea that your work generally is kind of an accessible thing? Because we found out from a number of our friends that they got into contemporary art through your work. So you were the first artist where they felt it was open enough and they could relate to it somehow mm. and then that piqued their interest and now it they're actually fascinated quality. in it yeah. and talking about your parents I know that your parents actually had the same experience where they had very little um, understanding of contemporary art or the art world and then through your success they've now become interested in it too and I kind of liked that idea that... The um,
1: access point you're yeah, a good access point Yeah, I'm a conduit You are, you a, are conduit. a conduit, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, like, conduit the conduit strictly. Yeah. You're like the
2: like Pied Piper.
3: If I was a wrestler...
1: You'd be like, the conduit. Yeah. Oh.
3: My, my, my ring name would be the That's conduit. That's hot. That is hot. That's
1: a hot name. Covered
2: in tomatoes or something. Wrestling.
1: <laughs> how, do you, well, how do you feel about that then? The fact that people are discovering contemporary art through your work and continuing to love your work as well, obviously.
3: Well, uh, there are two answers, I suppose. One is... Um, one is true and one is just the thing that you'd want to hear. The, the answer that you want to hear is, yeah, that's great. You know, I love, you know, that's I, I love it. But in reality is, as an artist, you don't, you never intend to do anything. I've never intended to do anything and I've just become the artist that I am because that's just the way it turned out. <laughs> and I'm very happy that, you know, I have, I am the conduit yeah. for some people. but it it really isn't by design at all so i can't it's and it's only on occasions like this that i'm invited to think about it yeah. and also i'm really aware that all the dialogue that i have about my own work it's it only exists when i'm being interviewed which is why when you look back to other interviews i completely contradict myself in mm. sort of cycles of about 5 years <laughs> <laughs> so 5 years ago i'd probably given you completely different answers Maybe you'd have answered, asked different questions. Well, though, I think we, everyone changes,
1: don't they? But are you aware of them differences when you're actually suddenly answering the question that you've been asked five years previously?
3: I, I look upon occasions like this just to get out of the studio. It's just nice to have a bit of company. Have some nice <laughs> coffee.
1: Aww.
2: See a
3: different part of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stroke your beautiful dog. Yes, you know, he is beautiful, isn't he? And you've got a dog. I do have a dog. And what's your dog's name? My dog's name is Inca, and she is a six-year-old miniature schnauzer. Oh. black in colour, going oh. grey. And she's in Brighton at the moment? She's in Devon, actually, with my wife. We have a house in Devon, uh, paid for by Count <laughs> 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 That's actually true, right? And also, your, totally your, true, yeah.
1: your
2: dog also exists in a parallel universe on your iPhone screen.
1: Yes, and you do drawings of dogs. You were saying earlier on that we had a chat before we came in that you've mastered the ability of drawing Dogs through your own
3: dog. I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but I have improved (laughs) significantly. (laughs) Do you have a London base? Have you got a studio here? No, I I live in Brighton. That's only a
1: stone's throw away. That's easy, isn't it? You're fine. Yeah. And is your studio like
3: in your house there, or is it a separate venture? Well, I used to have a really great studio when I lived in Glasgow, Mm -hmm. and then um, we decided to move about four years ago, and now I have a very various studio arrangement where i i the basement of our house is a separate apartment and i work in there but it's a bit pokey and then my assistant i rent the flat next door mm. and my assistant works in there and we have the archive archive parenthesis and um and then i rent a space
1: at the end of the well, street what hang a minute no let's go back on that parenthesis why archive parenthesis is there just nothing in the archive
3: because you've it's well, all gone or what Some of the things in the archive aren't normally things that one would assume you'd have to archive, kind of thing. Like? Bits of wood and things like that. And these are things you found on the beach or...? Things I just can't get... haven't got around to throwing away. So sentimental value, archiving? No, it's more like obsessive-compulsive storage. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're a hoarder, basically? I'm in a very irrational kind of way, yeah. I'm not... the, The archive... Parenthesis, <laughs> <If not>, uh, <laughs> conduit. Parenthesis. That's, <laughs> that's what speech, we're gonna like Speech mark. This is parenthesis. Oh yes. <laughs> There's one finger. On anyway. Uh, I digress. Um, so yeah, a bit of a scatological attitude towards the things I keep and the things I discard. But do you think they're going to appear in work? I
1: was about to say, cultures? are they? Yeah. Are they
2: things that you're keeping because they're like ideas or they generate ideas? Is that why you hold on to them, or is it just
3: because I think they're going to be useful? Because I think I could throw that away. But as soon as I throw it away, I'm going to need it. You're going like, shit, I wish I had that bit of yeah, wood. I still, I wish I had that bit of wood. That would have been perfect for opening this um, camp door. Camp door. door. <laughs> opening this. Conceptual pill. door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, going back to the studios, I've got another studio at the end of the road that I rent from the church, which is really great, actually, and really inexpensive and um, and cool. It's great. We should—I mean, we should be there in a way, but it mm. might be noisy, and you know what Brighton's like. Yeah, especially a church.
1: I love
2: Brighton. I used to spend a lot of raupers. time there when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. I particularly like it in the winter when it's like really stormy, and I used to be a bit mental and walk in the storms along the seafront because yeah. I loved it so much. Did you much. see any worms? I didn't see any worms.
3: Worms blowing up into, <laughs> <laughs> into
2: <laughs> the
1: waves. I kind of
2: love—I love the drama of it.
1: The drama of Brighton. the, the drama of like life. Stormy weather. you're amazing oh my god um so but why did you leave glasgow and if you were so happy was that just like a
3: family thing um well mm, i don't know sometimes we i don't have any kids my wife and i don't have any kids and we have a dog so if you asked her it'd probably be a different story Mm. but my version of the story is that we got the dog and then we thought, well, we're not going to go on holiday to Tenerife anymore mm. in the wintertime because we can't take the dog on Easy Gem. No, they ride. don't allow them. No. So we thought, well, we'll have to holiday within the UK. So we looked around the Trossachs and Argyle and Butte for a for a holiday location. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, anyway, we paid off our mortgage by this point. With the help of counter tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so we tried to buy this uh, a holiday home, a holiday cottage. And they're really expensive in Argyle and Butte. And then we thought, and there's loads of midges and it rains all the time. Yeah. So, we, so we were watching um, the programme with Hugh Fernley-Whittingstall, the TV chef, mm-hmm. and who's down in Dorset, Devon mm-hmm. Dorset. And we were like, where's that? We want some of that mm-hmm. lifestyle action. And um, so we looked it up, and it's, like, right down at the bottom, and it turns out it's right near the bottom of the M5, so you can go straight down from Glasgow and be there in seven hours. Oh, just a basic seven hours? Just a basic seven hours. (laughs) Yeah, that's, so a, well, that's a quick trip, isn't it? That's lovely. Off for a skip and a jump. Yeah. And, you know, if we if you were in
1: America, that would you'd be yes, doing that for, totally, dinner, for a it? weekend. Yeah, that's yeah. was what they do yeah. just for like
3: a Saturday night party. Yeah. In reality, on our island, that's most of the island. That is to yes, think. top to bottom. So anyway, it was a fairly it was relatively easy to get there, and we bought this little house in East Devon, and it was great. And then. When we got down there, the weather was really nice. We were like, oh, it's really warm down here. It's like being in the south of France. <laughs> so we thought, I don't want to go back to Glasgow because it rains all the time. Mm. So, and the midges. But, yeah, and the midges. Um, so that was that, really. And then we we sold our, we sold our, apart, our apartment in Glasgow. And we thought, well, we can't really live in Devon all mm. the time because you can't get to the airport and it's quite hard to get to London and whatnot. So
2: Brighton, you know.
3: And how long is the drive from Brighton to Devon? Three and a half hours. Okay, it's a bit less. In a half.
2: Okay, so moving on from um, travel uh, tips. Um, (laughs) Going back to accessibility, one of the things I find really funny in in the phenomenon of David Shrigley is that on your website you actually have a section for tattoos and it seems like people all over the world have taken um, the... uh,
1: Imagery of your... Yeah,
2: taking your, your, your work and then put it on their I like
1: I guess because it's it's line drawings, a lot of your work, isn't it? So it's quite an easy but, adaptation. How the hell do you feel about that? It yeah. makes me
2: feel quite weird. Like that, I think I'd feel some sort Has of Has anyone got a tattoo of you, Rob? I don't know, maybe after this podcast they will. <laughs>
3: tattoo, of, tattoo of you? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I was in a band once. I had some fans, and so maybe they've tattooed my face on their body. I'm sure Russell's all over people's bodies. Big
3: time, I'm, I'm on everyone. <laughs> well... I feel weird about it, is the short answer. It's really quite weird, weird though, tried, isn't it? But, you know, it's one of these things that I've ended up doing and it's sort of too late to set a precedent for not doing it, if you know what I mean. Mm. So I've just sort of done it in an ambivalent way and it just sort of happened. So uh, do you
2: actually, like, design them for people?
3: Not not really. I used to, yeah. But now I've tried to just... I have a... there's a, a buffer between me and the outside world now, my assistant, who answers the emails. So
2: oh, I see. So that makes she it easier to decline.
3: She occasionally will come into my room and have a pad and a pencil and say, this young woman wants a tattoo of a banana. Can you just draw a banana? <laughs> so I'll draw the banana and the deal is done. I don't have to talk to her. But anyone. would you see the the finished product on her body somewhere? Well, I think it just appears on the website by magic. Like The, the person will send the, 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 the photograph of the tattoo to my assistant and then... My assistant puts it on the website, and I'm sort of the end i'm none the wiser and what if what if someone
1: wanted to buy the picture of that banana then could the person who has the tattoo on their body acquire that
3: well i have a bit I have a policy that you should money shouldn't change hands because that means that I have less responsibility somehow, okay,
2: yeah, fair enough, but
3: would you send them the drawing? in no no, you
1: keep that you archive that with the wood I archive it with the wood, yeah. <laughs> In the box with the
3: wood,
2: <laughs> right? So, um, there's something that you've done recently was uh with Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, which was when they had that whole hashtag campaign London is open, mm. and then you did uh, some drawings for billboard tubes and you did um all things like that. Okay. How, how did that all come about? And do you see that as like a part of your work that's kind of more political somehow
3: or public? Um, again, I, you know, there are two answers. One is, yeah, I love, you know, I love to engage with the political, <laughs> liberal politics and progressive politics in particular. And mm. I just really wanted to be part of that campaign. Well, no, but I'm only asking well,
2: because of Brexit and because of everything that's been happening in the UK. And there was a time when people felt like maybe the UK was going to close the doors or whatever. You know what I mean? And then I felt that yeah, the outward your, view was, <clears> that yeah. your, your, um drawing that was on all the billboards was actually this really hopeful message and it was political somehow even if you didn't mean it to be it kind of ended up becoming that
3: um yes 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 you're right but the the, the honest answer is uh yes obviously i agree i agree with that campaign broadly speaking mm. but the reality was it's just they asked me and the woman who is the deputy culture for me, she's really nice justine simons <laughs> and i was like yeah no i'll do it and I just, I just did it one day, and I thought, well, I better, I better say yes because the fourth plinth thing's coming up. So, oh, of course, it coincided yeah. with that, and it was fine, and it was great, and everything. But for me, it was just a means to an end. It was a way to just help with somebody's project that right. I approved of. Yeah. So, I don't know how political. You know, to what extent was it a political intervention on my part? It was just an illustration. Yeah, basically, it was just a bit of illustration. I don't do a lot of illustration these days, but um, yeah. Do you find it tough people projecting onto your work so much,
1: or do you, or do you feel like that's exactly what your work is meant
3: to do? Uh, I think it's yeah, exactly what the work's meant to do. I think the work is, the work is whatever you think it is, mm-hmm. uh, and I think as a conceptual artist, Robert called me a conceptual artist. Would there, you call right? yourself a conceptual artist? Uh I do and I have. But now you mention it, I'm not quite sure what I mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> like in that way that I just revise things that I've said and completely contradict myself. Well conceptual in the fact that you you allow
1: the public public to that your work is activated by a public's view of it. Yeah. Some are some aren't just is its own thing, but your work is so interactive.
2: And we were talking earlier about we we've interviewed uh, Ryan Gander and Martin Creed, and there is some and they're kind officially of,
3: conceptual artists, both yeah. of whom are fully certified yes. conceptual artists. Whereas my relationship to conceptual art is slightly more tenuous. Okay. Yes, because on account of the fact that a lot of people just see me as a graphic artist, kind of cartoonist. And how do you feel about that? I, I again, I don't really. Mind, I'm quite happy Uh to. I think the thing about um, sitting between two um, areas or or two disciplines or two idioms or whatever you want to call it is, or or a number of disciplines, is that um, you get to do lots of different things, so you don't get bored. Mm -hmm. Whereas, if I were, if if I was like a a figurative painter, Mm -hmm. for example, if I were like I don't know. Name me a figurative painter. Tal R, who's a friend of mine, you know, Danish. I guy.
2: love Tal R.
3: He's brilliant, totally brilliant, and not not a million miles away from what I do, kind of thing, graphically. But he's very much a uh, a painter and a graphic artist. And if I uh, in, if I were that good at doing what he does, because he's brilliant, he's a brilliant painter, he's a just a brilliant uses color in a fantastic way, and I use color in a very very primitive way, which is and the way I justify that is to say that i 'm a conceptual artist <laughs> <laughs> It's basically saying no I'm not, i don't i don 't need to exercise any craft skill because i 'm a conceptual artist mm-hmm. even though i don 't have any craft skills to demonstrate i don't i don 't agree with that but... well anyway that's a side what well, was the point I was making so the the thing is unlike talar i 'm allowed to um, the work can go in lots of different places. It can kind of go on T-shirts a bit more easily than his work can, for example. And and it, I can, you know, be in a rock band and it be seen as not so far away from the idiom which I work in. Like somehow it sort of fits in a way that it doesn't necessarily fit for a figurative painter and Got sculptor. It. Right. Um, so the fact that my work is as it is, it's just sort of... Accessible. Accessible graphic, but it's kind of like graphics without demonstrating a lot of craft skill. And it's kind of has an everyman quality to it in that totally. the craft skills that are demonstrated are quite uh, attainable by most people.
2: But I do feel that with your work, you know, if I did a doodle on a piece of paper, it's going to look rubbish. Whereas your, your, you know,
1: well um, your line. We recognise your line, line now.
2: is is yeah. so iconic and so. And
1: even though it's so simple, you, your font and your line is is people know what it is. You, but even you, the
2: composition on the paper, like
3: everything. You, like. you say that, yeah. but for example, if Russell were to write a letter to you, well, he has Robert, done.
2: We actually spoke about it you yesterday. Would,
3: you would see the envelope and you would be, oh, it's a letter from Russell. Cause okay. you know, because his handwriting is so familiar to you and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And in, that's just an extension of the same thing. It's just that, you know, everybody sees my handwriting and then people are really surprised that my handwriting is on the postcard that I send them from East <laughs> Denver kind of thing. And they're like, ooh, it's your handwriting. It's, it's, not, not, it's not conceptual handwriting. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it, it's official. My, <laughs> it is, yeah. is my handwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it just, and that, you know, obviously I do it all the time and that's how I make a living. But nonetheless, it's still just that. You know, 25 years ago, mm. it wasn't recognisable. And, you know... Uh, to your loved ones and your friends, it was. It, yeah. Yeah, to
1: some extent, yeah. So who, who is your inspiration? Because I was talking to someone the other day, and they were like, is he like the modern Keith Haring? And I said, well, the, Keith Haring had that political agenda, and it was of a, of a different time. But do you feel like that... Because his work was he like played with the same narrative, the same characters appeared all the time. Do you feel like he's a big inspiration to you?
3: Um, not necessarily Keith Herring as such. I mean, I think he's really interesting to look back upon in the sense because his work is is sort of like started out like Banksy's and mm-hmm. Jean-Michel Basquiat in that he was a street artist mm-hmm. who made crossed over to being a fine artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his work changed, and that was, you know, albeit tragically short career. It was it's a really interesting one to look back upon. But in terms of the artists that I'm influenced by, that I really admire, they are kind of boring in a way, like Marcel Duchamp and Andy Warhol.
1: Well, Andy Warhol is completely with all your products you create mm. this the getting your your vision out there on very accessible things for everybody to live with every day. Arts for everyone. That's what
3: you, I guess, that's been a big inspiration then. Well, I think from the moment that I realized what contemporary art was or what modern art was, um, I guess Dada was the most the, the touchstone for me. I was gonna that's say that when I first, you know, yeah. when I was 14 or 15, buying the Thames and Hudson Guide to Art, yeah, the Dada Dadaism Dadaism version, and you can so, definitely
2: see that in your work. And that's also why I was kind of asking you about political things because i wasn't because they they were responding so much to world war one and
3: yeah i mean that that attitude towards making something that was completely other and was completely anarchic but it sort of changed the world but it sort of changed art and but it sort of changed nothing Mm -hmm. um and it was um you know I, i guess i only think back to it now and again but i was in I think it was twenty. Was it twenty sixteen? Was the anniversary of Dada? Mm-hmm. Well, remember. let's just say what Dada is. Anyway, let's took, for people that are listening that wouldn't know what Dada is. Dada was an art movement at the that occurred roughly around the time of the First World War, nineteen sixteen, maybe. Mm. And uh, there were two simultaneous movements in. Um, Zurich and in Paris and, uh, and a strand in New York as well I can't really remember but anyway um, it was basically a movement that was in opposition to a lot of posi- uh, political things that were happening at the time very much in opposition to the changes that the um, First World War brought about worldwide so it was art and anti-art mm-hmm. it was just a an art an art movement that was based on rebellion against everything. So, Marcel the iconic work of Dada is Marcel Duchamp's urinal, uh, urinal, where he presented a urinal in an art gallery, which seems kind of passé now but at the time shocking. Was was kind of shocking, but it's difficult to know. You know, these works kind of ossify and have a, a different meaning over time, but um mm. but reading about the Dadaists and, you know, it's a large group of Artists and things that they did um, was really inspirational to me at that, you know, when I was 14 or 15. Of course. And I didn't really know what art was because I grew up in the suburbs of Leicester. And, uh-huh. you know, my experience of art was, I don't know, album covers, yeah. maybe, because I'd never actually been to an art gallery. So I thought that, uh, like, Adam and the Ants album covers were art. Yeah. Um, I've revised that opinion
2: you um you you were nominated <laughs> for the Turner Prize in 2013 and your installation it was in Londonderry in Northern Ireland the um exhibition Derry Londonderry
3: so good then <clears> Derry
2: Londonderry sorry um your installation was A life model. A life model, but this kind of sculpture that you'd actually created that even had moving eyelids and everything. And it peed into a bucket, (coughs) thinking of the Marshal Duchamp's urinal. Um, He actually occasionally, sporadically peed. Um, And then you invited um, the audience, the public, to come in and actually draw like life drawing class. Um, And that kind of completed the work in a way. Rather than being, I heard you describe it as being exhibitions often propose or offer propositions or you know for thought or whatever. But you were actually doing an invitation, which was kind of the point of the whole um, show. But I was actually weirdly thinking about Duchamp when I was watching that video of that show.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's a funny one. I, I I guess the tenor prize is a bit of a burden for a lot of artists. It's what goes around comes around kind of thing eventually. And um, what do you mean? Well, the Turner Prize is offered to British artists, or it was offered to British artists under the age of 50. And if you're choosing four a year every year, you know, the pool, you know, you eventually start... (laughs) I see (laughs) what
1: you're saying, right, right. You eventually start
3: scraping. (laughs) And that's how I came (laughs) to be nominated.
1: What was your show they'd
3: seen, most Uh, people had seen? I did a retrospective at the Hayward Gallery. Right. Uh,
2: Called Brain Activity.
3: Called Brain Activity title i thought of in yoga class oh you a big <laughs> yoga man i am yes in brighton i haven't
2: found the right
3: class in brighton but i had a great teacher in glasgow called jerry keelty who's a it turns out is a very well respected yoga teacher you know in the whole of the uk mm-hmm. if not elsewhere as well um, but i've never found anybody quite as good as him in brighton so i'm maybe still... after talk art you're going to get some messages
0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Okay, can we actually Yes, just, carry on. <laughs> no, can I just segue on something a minute? This is quite fascinating. The idea, even just talking to you, you're a very calm kind of yeah. Uh well-balanced human being, it, it appears, and you do yoga, and um, you seem very sort of like... Zen. Zen and, and good with yourself. Yeah. But your work has this element of, like, the kind of deepest depths of all of our minds, yeah. things that we don't necessarily ever verbalise, but you...
1: Love deaf sex.
2: ...write it all down. Um, and a lot of it just makes me laugh because it, it's so like, oh, my God, I think that, but I would never say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that come in to be? Is, is, is art like therapy for you or something, or...?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think it has to be therapy Um, I think whenever I'm talking about my work I've become aware that I've been talking about it for 25 years Mm. And I've been doing it for longer than that Mm. Like I've been a professional artist for uh, almost that amount of time
2: Mm -hmm. Mm.
3: So I've been doing nothing else And that's uh, almost half of my life Mm -hmm. And the great, you know, most of my adult life So... I have lost a bit of perspective on it. So when people say, you're really kind of normal in real life and your work's really mad, I'm just sort of like, I actually think the opposite in a way. I think <laughs> my work is kind of normal. I think I'm mad. But I, I think that's because you live inside your own head. You don't, mm-hmm. um, the work that I make is, you know, it's a, Whilst I love making it and I'm, you know, unhappy when I can't make it, and it is very healthy to make. Um uh you know, I sort of see it as, you know, a privilege to make it. And I also I see it as um I think that everybody should make art. And I think the people that don't are the ones that maybe are missing out on something on a therapeutic level. Mm. Or that everybody needs to make visual art. You can do something else. But I think everybody has to make something. Mm. Um, and I'm just lucky to make that. But in terms of the content, I don't know. Why not? Who mm-hmm. You know, that's just, you just say anything. The great thing about being an artist is that when you're in your studio, you can say whatever you like just to amuse yourself, mm-hmm. and it's fine. And also, you know, it's like being a rock musician and being rewarded for your bad behavior. Yeah. You know, I am rewarded for <laughs>
2: it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know. So when you said you lost perspective, when you had your retrospective at the Hayward, what was that like then seeing all work that you might have not seen for years come back together?
3: Uh everybody, I think all artists are resistant to a retrospective. So I was resistant. I dragged my heels about doing it. But in in conversation with a, a curator, you, you sort of end up With some kind of compromise Uh whereby there's a retrospective element. But most artists don't want to have a retrospective. Most artists just want to make whatever they're making right now. Right. And for the Hayward Gallery to spend a lot of money helping you make it. Right, right, right. But do you feel like it puts you
1: you backwards then? Do you think it puts your brain activity?
3: Well,. I mean, in terms of what you do, do you want to constantly revisit the things you've done before? The things that you're no. excited about doing... Is the about, next job. Is the next job, exactly, or the job that you're right in the middle of. Mm-hmm. And even that one you're probably tired of. Mm-hmm. It's the one that's that's next. It's whatever you're writing or whatever you're going to Keep it interpret. moving, yeah. Uh, and I think it's the same... I'd imagine it's the same for everybody, where I'm just like, I don't know, I just want to make the next thing... And that's really, and, and, and I think it will always be like that. And I think, yeah, in retrospective, okay, you just do the retrospective. Mm-hmm. And I'll just have a look at it. Turn up opening night. Send me a list. Yeah, I'll just put ticks and crosses. But <laughs> <laughs> you were part of the hang, no? The install? I was. I mean, it was a big deal. I yeah. I cool. spent a lot of time designing the exhibition and trying to find ways of putting it together. Uh-huh. Um but yeah, there are certain compromises you have to make because of the space and because of things that the the curators' vision kind of thing. But that said, I you know had a good relationship with the curator. He was really great, and um, it was a great thing to do. And also, people were quite surprised that I was doing a retrospective at the Hayward.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like
3: I had the conversation whereby people were like, "They're like, what have you got coming up?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm doing an exhibition um, in London." Oh, right. Is it Stephen Friedman? No, it's actually at the Hayward Gallery. And they were like, what? At the, Hay- the Hayward Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> well, like on tour, or like now, you. <laughs> supported by. And no. And the- then they were sort of like, instead of saying, oh, well done, that's great, they'd say, oh, well done. Good, cool, that's great. As if they were like, What's up with the
2: Hayward Gallery?
3: <laughs> right.
1: I,
2: I, I really enjoyed that show because I felt like I discovered loads of sides to your work that yeah, I didn't totally. even know about because I think the drawing is something that you sort of see especially these days on Instagram, even though your work's so handmade, you seem mm. to have this incredible uh, feed on Instagram where mm. daily I have like a David Trigley thought in my head, you know, like which is really genius. But I, I loved all the taxidermy works, like the um the Jack Russell holding the sign saying I'm dead. Yeah. I mean,
3: no, that's all pre Inca that work. Don't make it. So now you, t- you, now you couldn't you could do that. Yeah. Twenty twelve when she arrived, no more taxidermy. And what about, your, gone, pet, it's all gone what vegan, about your pet your ostrich? Totally vegan. I've got I I don't eat meat anymore. No, really? I don't eat meat either. Yeah, totally.
2: Russell never used to eat um, pork because they're more intelligent than dogs. And then I don't recognise you, and they they, they like like, like being cuddled.
3: I could never eat no, no pork, no, no lamb, no beef, no chickens, no chickens. No, that was the hardest one for me to give up. And then once that's gone, it's gone. Yeah.
1: I'll I was still, blown away. I eat but...
3: fish, though. I eat fish.
2: Oh, do you? Mm. I just can't eat octopus anymore because I've been watching oh, all these no. videos of yeah. how intelligent they are. They're so intelligent. Yes, and they know. can free themselves from any situation. Yeah, they're the pigs of the sea. They're totally beautiful. And it's my favourite emoji in um, Emoji Land. And also...
1: Emoji, how, isn't it? it? Sorry, emo- emoji.
2: I don't know why <laughs> I always say emoji. Sorry.
3: Um, in, <laughs> do you know how octopuses mate? No. Man octopus, one of his tentacles, is his penis. Really? Hot. He sticks it into the woman octopus's brain. What (laughs) fertilizes? Spurts his stuff into her brain. Wow! And then his penis slash tentacle falls off, and he dies. And then in her brain, the gestation happens.
2: Wow! But the thing is, women are just more intelligent than men anyway. So that kind of makes sense. Imagine
3: that. That's hot. That is crazy. That is actually really hot.
2: So you, so you, (laughs) you procreate and then you die.
3: So wow. Well, the bit falls off. Yeah. And then you die. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's, yes. that's intense. And she's got a really bad headache. Yeah, she's like, always like, ah, yeah. well, this is migraine. You're
1: just, You've you're got a like, baby octopus growing in your skull. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, God. That's tough. So no, right. right to this. Art practice quickly. Well, well, not quickly, but when you, what, are you quite strict with your hours, studio hours? Are you a nine to five man?
3: Yes. Yes. I have to be. Um, I think my mantra is when I talk to students, I always say, Put the hours in, and the work makes itself cute, so the more time you spend in the studio uh, the more likelihood it, it there is that you'll make something that's okay mm-hmm. mm. and do you are you a coffee man tea, ma'am? Two coffees in the morning all right, uh, then um white tea in the afternoon, then peppermint tea after four
2: Well, you've got a whole routine white tea it?
3: white tea is in herbal white tea or white tea is in milky tea white tea as in green tea, you know, but white. But
2: the, and your mantra wow. for life that I read somewhere was like be nice and work hard and I was just like I love that because that is so simple but it's true it's also the key to happiness probably
1: I got yeah. given advice once by someone that was I said what's the key to like success and they said just be brilliant <laughs> like oh okay yeah just be brilliant like it's an easy thing just be brilliant
3: <laughs> oh okay yeah was that an actor
1: yes <laughs> <laughs> it was James Corden <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> oh just be brilliant just, it was it, it's just, just be brilliant oh okay yeah
1: oh yeah fair enough great
3: yeah no, I, no I, genuinely
2: think, <laughs> I
3: genuinely think being nice to people and working hard is a, a route to success. Because let's face it, if you don't do that, yeah. if you're just lazy and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but some people slip through the net. Yeah, they do.
2: We made a print, Be Nice, with the rainbow.
3: Be nice.
1: And
2: look how successful that was.
3: I didn't tell you. Somebody ripped that off.
2: I told you that. I sent oh, yes. you the email. All right, look at that. It was Sorry. like a legal case because I was like, get your lawyers on this.
3: Anyway, we got the lawyers on it and yeah. it's all sorted out. Oh, good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, in America, basically, this brand, it's like a big um, Home Depot kind of store thing. They were selling a sort of knockoff version of Be Nice as a little print in a frame. And it was made in China or something. And I I was just, one of our uh, customers sent me a picture of it. And I was so appalled, I forwarded it on to David. And he was like, this will be taken care of. It was a very minimal email response. But I was happy that he let me know that it would be taken care of.
3: Yeah. Well, what happened? The guys in a big... Black SUV turned up outside the with guns, was <laughs> <black>. <laughs> yeah. and they went. We want to speak for the manager. <laughs> yeah, you'll come here into the van. <laughs> oh my god! And then it was all sorted out. Fantastic. Okay.
2: Well, that's, that's good. Yeah, all above board. That's, that's often the way to. Yeah, to, yeah exactly. So, um, one part of your work which I think is really interesting is the amount of books you've made. Do you? You've made about forty books. Um, which is way more than most artists make.
1: You started off being self-published; that was kind of your route
3: into the art world, right? Yes, yes.
2: So, what what is it about the format of the book that you like so much?
3: Um, well, when I left art school, I uh, decided to become a cartoonist, even though I had no real understanding of the, you know, the the craft of the cartoonist and what that entailed and how you could make a living from it. Mm. But I thought that this was 1991 mm. and I thought, so I started making these, I, I, I made always made drawings and always made them in a sketchbook and they really weren't for any purpose other than to amuse my friends a lot of the time. So mm. when, I, when I was at art school, I would make, I knew that my friends looked through my sketchbook when I wasn't there. So I'd make really? drawings of them.
2: Oh, how funny. You know
3: but did did
1: they know that you doing (laughs) unpleasant things but did they know that you knew that in the end they did eventually yes (laughs) but (laughs) it was just you know it's like reading your diary and you're going this person's a complete twat (laughs) 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 knowing that they're going to read it Yeah. yeah
3: anyway um so that i'd always made these drawings and then i decided when i left art school that i needed to have a um a career and i didn't think that one could have a career as a a fine artist because you know this was pre-YBAs I guess so Mm -mm. there wasn't really a precedent for that happening um, to a 22 year old so I I thought I'll be a cartoonist and I'll be published in I don't know Private Eye or something like Mm -hmm. that so I made these eventually made these books which were a, a marketing tool essentially the first book was called Slug Trails and um, it was published by a small imprint in Glasgow, who published two other ventures, which were one of which was a Mark Boland fanzine, and the other one was this uh, very esoteric satanic writer <laughs> called Austin Osman Spare. And uh, so it was that Austin Osman Spare, <laughs> and Mark Boland fanzine, and me. <laughs> that was the wrong And we did two. I did two books that were published by them. The second one was called Merry Exma, and, <laughs> and then the third one was published, was self-published, 100 copies with a hand-drawn cover. And it was called... I can't remember what it was called, actually. OK. We need to look at the archive. <laughs> Up parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> now, that's the real archive. Oh, that's the real archive. That's the okay. real archive. Oh, yes, of yeah. course. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, So so that, and then I sort of became suddenly realised that the book was a form that was really accessible and interesting, Mm -hmm. and you know I didn't have to conform to anything if I was publishing it myself, Mm. and that you know I could it could pay for itself basically. So the first books were sold for a few pounds, and I sold them in the pub or art openings or things like that, and people just. I guess they just bought them to make me go away, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because it was the same price as a pint of beer, right? And um, and and then you know stuff happened. People saw them, and somebody else started publishing them. And uh, many years later, I'm
2: making you know, giant sculptures yeah. in Trafalgar Square yeah. and yeah. books.
3: But do you follow
1: cartoons? Like, do you like Modern Toss and do you like the Far Show and Peanuts Are there any of these
3: kind of? Columns that you follow? Um, I like... Oh, Yeah, I really... I like Modern Toss, for example. Yeah. I think that's really fun. And, um, you know, I buy those greetings cards yeah, to same. send to my brother-in-law. Yeah, again. yeah, same. Um, but I would sort of have come to like cartoons as a result of being a cartoonist mm-hmm. rather than, you know, vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Which is an odd way around. The things that I was always really influenced by... Um, you know, apart from what we've spoken about in terms of fine art, I'm I really influenced by 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 writers more than probably as much as uh um fine art in the sense that I loved uh um you know, I love Ernest Hemingway. Right, of course. And Old Man uh, the Sea and, and Many, you know, all the writers that you like, and lots of other odd, odds and. So you're odds. a big reader. Yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say I'm a, a voracious reader, but mm. I have been through, been a reader for my entire life, and I'm a bit of a, a bit of a snobby reader as well. In like, what way? Oh, like in way. the sense that I don't like, I can't read bad prose. Okay. I mean, I can read it. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have the ability to read it, but you don't so want become to become dyslexic when I start <laughs> reading <laughs> Carl Hyacinth or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah okay. Got it. Uh, but I just don't like it. I don't like bad prose, and I don't, I can't read for, read for read beach books. I just Danielle know, but, Steele or anything doesn't. Well, feel the closest to you. I get to pulp, go on, is probably I don't know Paul Auster or something, okay. Jonathan Franzen or something right, like right, that. Right. You know, which is middle brow literature, I suppose. But anything less than middle brow is sort of unacceptable, which means I'm a bit of a snob.
2: And what about poetry? Um. I don't, I
3: don't you like song lyrics, don't you? You're a big mu- museo, right? I do. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say I was a. I wouldn't say I was a big consumer of poetry. I mean, I, I studied T. S. Eliot when I did my A level Yeah, we all did. But I, I don't know. I think there's a time for poetry, but I. I guess I would rather read. I don't know, Cormac McCarthy. Got um, him. Yeah, um, The Road. Whatever it is. What is your newspaper? What newspaper do I read? Yeah. Um, I don't. I've sort of gone. I used to read The Guardian, but I've sort of gone off it. Have you? Yeah, I'm just fed up with their um constant begging for money, <laughs> <laughs> right? And they basically anything they give you for free in Waitrose isn't worth having. <laughs> Got it, you know what good. I mean? That's a good moral to live the right Coffee enough. is rubbish. Do you get free coffee in Waitrose?
2: Yeah, when? I well, how been to still you not. get.
3: They get, you've got your Waitrose card, right? you go and you can have a cup of coffee in a single-use thermal cup. And you, walk, and you can walk around and shop with that or... Yeah, they give you... Well, I, I keep the thermal cup oh. and I take it home with me. And archive it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> For when I need a thermal cup to make coffee and then I get in a car and have to go somewhere, and no, then I've got the... Anyway, yes, that, no, um, I, I digress. No, so, you don't. So I don't read, <laughs> I don't read The Guardian because anymore. Because and the shit coffee in Waitrose, Well, it. because, it, I don't know, I just think there's so much... It's sort of, in a way, a golden age for media, Yeah. in a way. And it's a golden age for music and everything that you consume culturally, because it's all there on the internet. Mm. It's like you can... There's so many interesting online sources to find out about things, so many different viewpoints about things. So I, I, you know, I end up would rather read long form essays about, you know, the dark money into Brexit in open yeah, like, yeah. democracy than I would um just read about the same thing in The Guardian where yeah, I, just, yeah. I don't know, I just give it a cursory glance and I think there's there's so much opportunity if you spend a bit of time to be really far more nourished than just reading one newspaper. And I never read the newspaper. We the part of the reason we get it apart from fact that it's free in waitrose, we get it, and then we don't read it, and we just use it to put the dog's food on. <laughs> got it. So we've all just got some newspaper, <laughs> and that's an indictment against. The dog, you know? <laughs> yeah.
2: So recently, you were the curator of the Brighton Festival. I was. Um, and for that, you had an alt rock band performance, and you actually wrote songs, didn't you?
3: I did. Yeah. And what
2: is your relationship to music? Because I see that you've like made music videos for Blur and yes. different bands, and and you've even designed like album covers for people. Um. So do you have a strong relationship with music yourself?
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. I've always been a... You know, my, my main passions in life are music, art and football. Um, we can't talk about football.
2: Oh, no, but football you actually designed dogs. a mascot, didn't dogs. you, for a to football team? <laughs>
3: didn't <laughs> yes,
1: you design did. a mascot?
2: Yes. A kind of crazy yellow yeah, I did. mascot? Oh,
1: yeah, I remember that. What was that team? Partick Thistle. The Jags. And it was well, kind of controversial. People
3: didn't really understand what it was, right? What was this creature? Um, well, very briefly... I met somebody who ran a hedge fund in California and after after dinner conversation they ended up sponsoring my local team in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Wow. And then I
3: so cool. on on the understanding that I would do all the artwork and design a mascot <laughs> that was based on their company logo which was a rising sun. So I made this thing called Kingsley and who looked a bit like a version of Lisa Simpson,
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah a weird, yeah. angry, quite version. haunting, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah,
3: and it's <laughs> and to my great pride, it's been uh, Scottish Football Association mascot of the year oh, three years running.
2: Now that, that is a prize. Where you is want. it
3: stored when it's not? Well, there are two of it. My friend Susie Hunter, who I was at art school with. Susie does contour sculpture. She made. She's made two versions of it because it gets a bit grubby, got <laughs> it? yeah, with the weans touching him. <laughs> it's bright yellow, isn't it? Right, and he sort of he celebrates with the team. He, you know, he does the minute silence before the game. That's always amazing. I can't wait to put that put that in Instagram feed. That's gonna be one that
1: people are gonna love. to so see.
2: So going back to music, so how how did it come about working with Blur or all of that? Uh, well, yeah, I just
3: what goes around comes around. I suppose it's a bit like a right. Turner Prize. You end up. Do, if just you cope. do animation, everyone wants to blow in the end. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, if you do if you do animation, eventually you're going to do a pop promo, and that was quite a long time ago, maybe 2003. Mm. And you still got paid in those days, paid proper money to Ooh. do. So we, yeah, we, I did it in collaboration with some guys called Shinola in London, and we did this thing, and it sort of went really well, and we won an award for it and stuff. Um, but. I've always been I used to be in a band who we were rubbish basically and I was had a problem with the problem I ended up being the songwriter in the band and the singer. And I can't re I mean, I'm not a very good singer or a very good musician and I'm not a very good songwriter. So what I found was I could only ever write three chords and I could never write the chorus. So I thought for this Brighton Festival project, I made all these guitars, which are sort of a, a sculptural thing in a way. But they're all guitars with like one string or strings and frets in the wrong place and stuff. So they they work, but they're all weird electric guitars. Anyway, you can see pictures on my website and on Instagram and whatnot. But we decided to make this performance where I I, I write a lot of lyrics. I write a lot of stuff. So I'd written all these lyrics and then. I met a, a one of my first friends in Brighton was a guy called Lee Baker who's um who lives up the road from me and uh, we we did a couple of projects together and then I sort of said oh would you write the music if I sort of tell you what I want and give you some examples because he's a guy who writes for TV mm-hmm. and for um and he, he he's basically a just a really brilliant at synthesizing various genres. Mm-hmm. And so really understands the way that music goes together. So I said, if I just tell you, if I say I want it to sound like Led Zeppelin meets, um, I don't know, Nirvana's seven. <laughs> first album, etc. Can you do that? And he's like, yeah, I can do that. Um, so anyway, he did it. And then it just sort of wasn't quite right. And he's like, right, why don't you? And I And I was in the studio one day. And I just started playing his guitar. And he's like, you can play the guitar. And I was like, well, after a fashion. And he's like, right, you write the songs. Oh, and wow. then you just write them and sing them. And just..." And I'm like, but I can't do the chorus. He's like, that's fine. I'll do the chorus. You do the three chords. A proper so, collaboration. So that's what we did. It was like E, E, A, A, E, G. And then he comes in with like a major, whatever it is, or a minor something. And I'm like, wow, it works. But then, un- unfortunately, he kept all the recordings that I'd made, Oh. and then started playing them. <laughs> just me
2: just
3: singing into wow. the computer. But have they been recorded officially? Yeah, we did. We made them. We no. The terrible thing was that we didn't record them. We performed them, and it went it went quite well. It wasn't. And that's on YouTube, or uh, I don't know. Okay. I mention it. Bits of it are here and there, but. Yeah, unfortunately we d- we didn't record it and we sort of can't can't really go back to it at this stage for reasons I won't go into but oh. it sort of yeah, it was like maybe 65% finished. Mm-hmm. So it was a work in progress. We had a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and a certain amount of resources to fill and we we sort of did it and then we were going to go back to it and then we haven't haven't been able to do that. But it it ended up working really well. I didn't perform in it. Oh, you didn't, in you. I was just the director, you did. right, 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 which was really good fun. Was it nice I, watching that all come to life though? Well, what was great was we were in the in the re, in the rehearsal studio, and I'd be like, no, no, not take you just bang on the big drum. What's that called? <laughs> <laughs> the bass tom tom. Yeah, bang on that one, and then yeah, hit that do. one. No, not that symbol. Oh, the ride symbol. What's it called? The ri- Yeah, that one, and then <laughs> and then the bass drops out. And then comes back in again. And it was so much fun. Uh, So you're like a rock
2: opera conductor. conductor.
3: Totally. But I just, a slightly moronic version of that where I just didn't know the names of... I love that. Any of the sort of... Instruments, nomenclature. Something I
2: heard about this whole project was that you were waking up in the middle of the night with song lyric ideas or melody ideas and then you'd record it in your voice notes on your phone. And that is something when I was a singer-songwriter would be like, I did all the time. But I used to have like a Tascam four-track recorder and then when you got the iPhone or whatever it it was... Did it work for you? It used to work for me all the time and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be like, thank God I did it. But you were like, when you woke up in the morning it sounded like someone very sleepy
3: (laughs) and a bit (laughs) who couldn't (laughs) sing. It sounded like somebody mumbling. And there's the sound of my wife in the background going,
2: What's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, I also love this idea that you'd go on aeroplanes and because you were so captive that would sort of free up your creativity because I wrote all my songs for my first album when I was flying we used to do gigs in America and I would just constantly write when I was on flights and the minute I came off a flight I wouldn't be able to write anymore wow. there was something about the, well, the, act, the activation that happens creatively yeah, when you're on right. an totally, aeroplane
3: totally, I just went to Australia and New Zealand got so much done it's like I got two weeks work done in two days
2: I know, I point. think they should just send all creative people on aeroplanes.
3: <laughs> Do you always carry a sketchbook around with you? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah or no? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've got it.
3: It's in
2: there. It, it's
1: in there. <laughs> yeah. And would you, are you someone
3: that's like you'd be sat on the train now on the way home and you'd be sketching? I might be sketching or I might, so a lot of the time it's notes of, of things uh-huh. where I'm like, I don't know, make notes.
1: And what comes Crazy. first? Because a lot of your work is written and there's an image. Is it the image or the writing?
3: Uh, probably writing comes first and then I make an image and then sometimes I go back to the writing or sometimes something different comes. Got it, great. So it's a bit like that. What was the name of your band?
2: Tempo Shark. Tempo Shark. And funnily enough, since we've been doing this podcast, my royalties have gone up.
3: Really?
1: Yeah, you, all because Russell credit, mentioned
2: the band w- in the first episode. But
1: the music credit, the music in oh, yeah. beginning of this is your music. The
2: music on Talk Art at the beginning and the end, which <laughs> somebody, <laughs> a reviewer recently described as a B-movie soundtrack. I was a bit like, oh, thanks for that. Yeah. Um, that's actually from Tempo Shark. It was a song called Joy. So, but bizarrely, we're getting way more PRS than I used to get. We? since yeah. this. Well, I guess the other guys are too. Oh, okay. who wrote the songs. Oh, if we met me. Me, I imagine I'm they are because I'm getting more PRS. But anyway, it's it's a funny phenomenon that these days if you make something 10 years ago it's still out there existing your and music's on the Kardashians available. as well it's on all kinds of things yeah, it, uh, he's, he's yeah. In the, background the music first like five seasons of the Kardashians TV wow. show they took a lot of my vocals out but you sometimes hear the backing vocals and his ex-boyfriend Dan used to text me going like I'm watching Kim Kardashian <laughs> and it's your song on the back and then he got really into my band because of it it was hilarious <laughs> through at the, the time I didn't even know Imagine who they were your music they, through the they weren't famous back then though and then they've become so famous that we get PRS all the time from it but they've wow. dropped you it's for hilarious. the new series yeah, I don't think I'm on the. I think I'm on the first sort of four or five seasons or something like that. It's uh, very funny. Who have they
1: got now, you? But can
2: I say something? I stopped writing music when I became a gallerist and I, you know, changed my life, all that stuff. But it has come back to me every so often. So when my dad died, I wrote songs. But weirdly, watching your Tate video where you're inviting people to come in and do life drawing and you were kind of encouraging people's creativity, it has sort of made me think, oh, I should, you know, open up that side to myself that I think I shut off. And I'm going to put a piano in my house in Margate, I've decided. Mm. So I might make a record one. Yeah, time. you
1: do periodically say to me, I'm going to make some more music. I'll yeah, write. and I yeah. do
2: still write sometimes, but only for myself. And the idea of putting it out in the world kind of terrifies me. But I think I'm actually going to consciously do it as like a hobby again. and write Midi songs.
3: keyboard.
1: <laughs> yeah, What's I, that one where you have like, the pen? It goes... <laughs> <laughs> that's the
2: stylophone.
3: Stylophone. Don't I mean, love those. Yeah,
2: I love real pianos, actually. I that's just that's love very it, you, actually. If you was an
3: instrument, you'd be a stylophone. <laughs> I, uh, I was having my photograph taken a while ago um by this guy and he said, Oh, I just went to photograph John Terry, footballer <laughs> yeah. who played for Chelsea at the time. He said, Oh, what's his house like? He said, Oh, he's got uh he's got a grand a white grand piano on the mezzanine floor. <laughs> oh my word. I said, Does he play the piano? He said, No
2: <laughs> Um
3: But there's always like you maybe yeah. he'd put it there and he's thinking, Well I just you know one day anybody You know, that guy, David Shrigley, if he can get in people to be creative, I could do that once my career's over. Exactly. So he's just retired, John Terry. Well, we look out for that concert.
1: Well, let's send out positive
2: vibes to everyone listening today. If you have any inkling within your bones that you want to be creative, creative, just do it. And I also find, like you were saying, if you read... That's when creative ideas often come, yeah, and yeah. I actually stopped myself reading for years because I was so like over being creative, and that was yeah. I find reading so in it sort of like the fire or something.
3: Read it? lots, and then go on a very long plane journey.
2: Yeah, that's our advice. Very for you.
3: good advice.
1: So, so
2: David Shrigley, thank you so much. No, no, we've got to ask our
1: questions. We always ask all our guests. What's your favorite color? Red. Why? I just I just really like it. Fantastic. And if you was gonna do an art heist, if you could you were gonna a steal
2: a painting from a from a museum or what was a touchstone for you? What would you um, like to take home?
1: Uh I'd have a Philip Guston. Oh but, yes. Amazing.
2: Our um, sleeve art for talk is actually based on a Philip Guston painting of us looking up.
3: Cool. Mm.
1: What what what, what Philip Guston. Guston one especially?
3: Well, probably not one of the ones with the Ku Klux Klans. Man. No, no, too much. Maybe just one of the one of him in bed or the the character yes, in yes. bed smoking. Yes, yes,
1: yes. One of those. One. Do you know an artist called Armin Ellowan who's very heavily inspired by him? I don't think. Timothy so. Taylor Gallery. He's, his work was inspired by Guston, and his work is like that. But yeah, that's, that's a great response. And I was I just in that.
2: Germany with the Belgian artist Nell Arts, and she is definitely following on from that tradition. She's amazing. Yeah. You'd love her, actually, because she makes books and films and crazy kind of surreal performances. She's really cool.
3: Do you live with your own work? No. Do you collect work? Yes. What do you collect? I tend to buy things by younger artists who I can... I feel like I'm... Yeah, I feel like it sort of supports them doing something. Emerging. Yes. I've got... Yeah, I've got a few. What have you got? What names? Yeah, well, people that (laughs) people would like to know. about. Um, Well, I mean, one or two things that I've bought from people over the years where the person's sort of become better known... Um, do you know a painter called Celia Hempton? Yes. Yeah, of
2: course. I, I've made prints with her. I yeah, love the, her. the partner she's of really Peake, They're a
3: couple. Yes. There, yeah. Well, Celia, when Celia was at art school, uh, they left. They used to live in Glasgow, and um, I bought we, me and Kim, bought some of her work. Because, Kim's your wife. Yeah, yeah. Just because um, they needed some money, basically. To
2: she's so, great. Uh, so really, anyway, really we've got the these way. beautiful
3: paintings. I mean, I don't. I, are they genitals? No, they're oh. they're. She used to go to scrapyards and places like that and paint al fresco. Mm. I think she still does. She that. does, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're just small, landscapey type pictures. Oh, um,
2: I really has. like those. That series, but...
3: yeah. Oh, cool. But yeah, anyway, I'm really glad she's doing well. Mm. But uh, and I'm, you know, I, in a way, it's sort of a burden to have things that are valuable. Yeah. But true. I've got. Uh, we were going to
1: get them on this because we were going to do like art couples because they're like both working a couple. I know,
2: but it's kind of problematic that. I think it's a bit. I don't know. but Yeah. Yeah, they, I don't think they really want to do that. that I'd love to interview both of them. I think yeah. they'd be great. Eddie yeah.
3: And her. No, they'd start having an argument probably. <laughs> <laughs> but that'd be
2: amazing,
1: wouldn't it? <laughs> <they? laughs> that'd be audio gold. That'd be great podcast.
3: That's not the way it works. Oh. You'd feel really bad.
2: Mm. Mm. Would we? I don't think I don't know. so. We want to get control. We wouldn't
3: join in. We wouldn't choose sides. I feel bad for suggesting it.
1: <laughs> we just facilitate it. Yeah. Well, David Shrigley... We conduit it. There we go. conduit yeah. it.
3: The conduit.
1: Woo! Thank you so much Thanks for Thank you so on. much. What a pleasure to meet you. Uh, so, hang on. So, what's your
3: website? My, my website? Yes. www.davidshrigley.com yes. Amazing. And you're on Instagram? Yes. At... David Trigley. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <Strictly enough. laughs>
2: and I actually really love the headline on your website, like the bit that comes up at the top of the website. It says, David Trigley, artist, 197, seven ce- oh, I can't say it, 197 centimetres tall. It's and that like, is total. You factual. are tall. Because
1: you're sat down and you're you still are so tall. tall. What are you, yeah. six,
3: 16 foot? I'm 6'5 in old money, <laughs> um, but I'm very long in the body. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Which is just like your life model and your thumbs up. They're always elongated. Oh, yeah, really, really
1: sculptures. good. The fourth That was incredible. What was that experience like? Really good. It was really good.
2: But why well, was it experience. so it's elongated? It's just so mental.
3: Because, because um. as I said to Vanessa Phelps when she interviewed me on her radio programme. Love her. Phelps I or felt Felt Phelps. Phelps. Phelps, just Phelps. Just, Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> what, how do you say it? Phelps. Phelps. F E L T Z. F E L T Z. You're her, saying yes, Phelps. Phelps.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go on. Phelps. Phelps. Do you think the Michael Phelps? Fuzzy Phelps. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Fuzzy Felt. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on. Where are we going with this? Really, really <laughs> so long time. My... Why was oh, it really yes. long?
3: Um, anyway, I had to speak to her on the morning <laughs> of the unveiling, and it was at like seven o'clock in the morning. It was difficult. Anyway, she wasn't having any of it. But what I said was... It's re- its not just good because if it's good, it's just a thumb up. It's really good because you know the signifier in the gesture is the thumb, is it not? So yes. If you make the thumb Thumbs bigger, up. then that increases the how level good of goodness. How good it is. So it's really good. Obviously. Yeah. Do and I have to explain? And she—she she wasn't happy with that. She was. She she made a noise like kind of. <laughs> 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 As if to say, "What a lot of
2: nonsense!" <laughs> I have a way to tie I up might have this. Might said that. <laughs> I have a way to tie up this fantastic interview. So we made a print with you around that time for the Rio Olympics that was the thumbs up uh, image yes. with the, the slogan or, or mantra, "Life is fantastic."
1: Yes. So I want everyone that was your biggest seller, wasn't it?
2: It was. Yeah. I want everyone listening to this podcast to remember that life is fantastic. There is hope. There is. And be creative. David Trigley, thank you so much for Thanks joining triggers. us. Thanks, Triggers. Everybody listening, you can visit our Instagram at Talk Art to see images of everything we've spoken about today. And we will be back very soon. Back
1: soon. Big laugh, thank Bye, you. David. Bye, David. Goodbye. Bye.
2: You've been listening to TalkArt with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at TalkArt, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part?